Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor John McDougall. Good morning, church family. Hope you're doing well today. Thanks for being here. I know every Sunday I feel like this is, gonna, this is the most important message I will ever share and I'm feeling like that again today, but I do think this is a special day and a special moment. We have a theology of encounter where we believe that, that God is omnipresent. He's always with us. He promises I'll never leave, but he reveals his presence in unique ways as we follow him, and he said in his word, I, inha- I will inhabit the praises of my people, meaning when we gather to praise his name, he, he dwells with us in a unique way. And I don't know if you've experienced that. I was uh, John Milan, uh, director of uh, Hope Healthcare, was sharing his his philosophy of it. He said, "The reason I go to church every Sunday, 52, we try to go every Sunday. It, it's a regular habit of my life. It's one of our habits, is because two Sundays out of every year, God shows up in a way that that changes the trajectory of my life." But I don't know which Sundays those are. And so I show up as many times as I can. And I'm sure you moments that, that um, you've had similar experiences. And, and I'm praying today for someone here. This would be one of those days where, where he will take his word and the spirit of God will apply it to your life in a way that will transform your eternity. <laughs> and that's the, the joy of my heart right now. And I can't wait to get to it. But before we get to it. The, uh, so we need to celebrate some go bless, bless to bless. By the way, before we get into that, welcome home to all our college students. You guys just fire us up and fill us up with joy. You guys want to come up and say anything? We feel like we should give you the mic, but uh, we miss you and we love you. And when you're here, when you come back, we just feel the energy go back up in, our, in the room. But go bless highlights um, that need to just... Say thank you and well done, team, in that our Thanksgiving offering has totaled, it, the uh, amounts are in, and we have given over $78,000 this year, above and beyond our normal giving, to go bless in our community, the, the, the big six initiatives that we, we had talked about. So thank you for your generosity. And the stats are in for our Thanksgiving meal delivery. I know that was a while ago, but we, we have the whole, uh, the whole story now. 200 volunteers, over 200 volunteers, 46 turkeys, 60 drivers, and everyone was loaded up with their meals in under 20 minutes. Like UPS can't do that, I don't think. And then 546 meals delivered with the love of Christ, living out our prayer, Lord, make me a blessing, all for his glory. I love his church, and so thank you to... Joan Harrell, Joan Harrell, as well as Sue Myers, as well as just everyone who is a part of the team. And I love the picture of Larry uh, uh, Myers as well. I think it was Larry and uh, Jim, who we have a gentleman here you may have seen walking back and forth. I'm sure a number of you have stopped and offered to help him, but uh, who's homeless in our, our town. And those guys invited him to join them out at the fairgrounds for the big uh, Thanksgiving, you know, celebration that, that we did, as a, or those who were serving were having, and he said, nope, I want my meal at my place, 
So they took, took it out to, to where he's staying. And just love the picture of, of the love of Christ in motion. And then another Go Bless highlight just to celebrate was what our kids and our kids ministry staff gave to us last week with the Christmas celebration. Wasn't that just a, a Christmas moment that as, as we've been debriefing and listening, trying to listen to feedback from you as well, a number of people said, don't change anything. Just do that again the next time we have a kids' Christmas musical. The, the kids will change as they grow up. But what a gift. And so a, a huge thank you to Seth Baker, to Francis Mock, Daryl Huff, Don Johnson, Jess Thomas, Jessica Chandler, Wes, and, and many, many others. As I was sitting back listening to, to that retelling of the story that we treasure, the, one of the impressions on me, I was just reminded that thanking the Lord that our passion as a church family is to come alongside families and help them thrive as they put Christ at the center of their lives. And, and then as a, a family, when you, you talk about a powerful force to bring hope and help to the world, when you have a family that's Christ-centered, and then these, all these kids who, who are growing up in a, a, an environment like that and then being encouraged to put Christ at the center of their, of their lives, you talk about a powerful force for good in our community and, and also for the glory of God. And it also left me just thanking the Lord that the way he set us up to do life following him was together as a family. And how many times, again and again in the word of God, we call each other brothers and sisters. And the love that we have for each other is the love that we have for our family. And it was neat. I was sitting next to Wilma Harness, who's one of my other mothers in the, in the faith. And she's also one of our Hall of Fame nursery workers. She's worked in the nursery many, many years. And the thought occurred to me, probably almost every kid up here that's been in our nursery, Wilma has rocked. And we know our nursery workers, as they rock them, they pray over them. Just God bless this child and help them as they grow up. And, and we live on the prayers of God's people. And I just left me thinking, thank you, Lord, for your family, for your church family, the part we get to be a, to play in it. I had was able to have lunch uh, last Friday with Gene Simpson, who has been a part of our church family for over 50 years, and she's now living with her daughter Jan in Noblesville due to some health-related issues. But it was so neat. Several times during that lunch, she stopped and she said, John, would you tell the church family that I'm praying for them? And she misses us, wants to be with us, but she's praying for us. And then she looked right at me and said, and I pray for you every Sunday morning. And it, again, left me thankful for, for our family, his family. I love his church. The, uh, so we gather as a family to encourage each other, to equip each other, to live out the mission that God's given us, which as a church family this year is, we have been blessed to go bless those around us. And as we were thinking about what are some strategic ways that we can equip and encourage each other to be a blessing, it occurred, oh my, the ministry of coaching is probably one of the greatest opportunities that we have here in this community. Sports-saturated culture of families that we live in. M many of us will be a coach, and you think back to your life and the impact of a coach and a season, and what a great opportunity to, um, to, to bless those around us, to bless kids, families, and then we thought, oh my, we, 
when's the last time we've thought really hard about what it looks like to be a Christ-centered coach? How do we normally coach when we go to coach? How we've been coached, right? I mean, you just kind of like how you parent. You parent how you've been parent, parented. That's normal. And thought, okay, in our culture, who, who, shaped, who has shaped in Indiana the coaching environment? Like, like what's normal? And who, who would be, over the past 40 years, probably one of the, we'll, we'll go basketball, one of the most influential people to shape, probably every coaching, we've all probably been coached as influenced by who? Gene Cady, right, from Purdue. No. <laughs> Bob Knight, probably, or, or who knows, whatever, when, who, as followers of Christ, who is to be the primary template that we follow as a coach, as a parent, as whatever we're called, it's Christ. And so we thought, let's do a seminar, a one-day, 60 minutes, gather all our coaches, as many of you as want to be a part of this, up in the, up, we'll call it the upper room, up above the old elementary space, and have a Coaching Like Christ seminar. And it'll be interactive, informative, um, helpful, hopefully, but also hopefully create some tension to think about what's it really look like and how can we leverage the opportunities that we have to impact um, those that, that we coach. So I invite you to, to be a part of that. All right, into the Word now. The, uh, as I mentioned earlier, or may have mentioned earlier, our Christmas, this is week three of our Christmas message series we're calling Into the Mess. Each week we're looking at, at um, as Christ came into our mess, what did he come to bring, and then how does he call us to go into the messes around us? And today we're chasing this simple question, is it possible to live with joy even in the, the mess of life? If you're honest about life, and if you've lived a while, truth is, life can often be just really a long series of messes. And, and I know that even that thought can, can, it feels like the cold winds of cynicism begin to drift into our mind. I, I was thinking about the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, and why is this guy to live? Had everything. And, and what's the, the theme of the book? The, the, the phrase that comes to your mind in this wisdom literature, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> it's like chasing the wind, I, and I can't help but think, how in the world did that get into the, our canon? Because can you imagine his kids reading that? Whoa, dad's having a bad day. Um, that's one of those journals we don't want the grandkids to read, but somehow, why? Because now the point of that book was, it's all meaningless unless you see it from God's perspective, but the truth is, life, it's a mess, and just about the time we get one mess situated in our life, what happens? Whoop, here comes another mess, and one mess after another, and we can become sad, mad, cynical. How do we live with joy when it is true? Life is a mess. I was debriefing with one of our, the kids that was in the Christmas program last week, and I said, hey, are you nervous? And he said, nope. But then immediately he shared his impression. He said, but there were a lot of people out there who were mad about what we were saying. And I thought, and then I, 
<laughs> Interesting, that's his perspective. And then it was like, I hope his mom and dad explained to him later, actually, they weren't mad. We weren't mad. That's just what life does to us. It's the mess effect, right? It makes you look mad when you don't mean to be. <laughs> Have you ever been getting ready to take a picture with your phone and you're, you go to hit the picture button, but you accidentally hit the button that flips the camera around and you see yourself, your unposing self, and you're like, whoa, that was scary. <laughs> there have been moments I've thought, do I always look like that? Like on the verge of a humbug? That's what life can do to us, isn't it? Because it's a mess. And how do you live with, is it possible to live with joy in the mess? Last Saturday, I had the opportunity to spend an hour with a Rotary Club ringing the, the Salvation Army bell at Kroger. And I impacted me as I watched, really, when you stand in the grocery store, you see our culture, don't you, coming in. You see all everybody. And I walked away from that rocked from the standpoint of it felt like at least over half of the people that walked in, a mess had just sapped the joy or life, the hardness of life, whatever. There wasn't a trace of joy in their as they came in, in their eyes and their presence. And granted, it had just turned cold, so that's enough to put us all on the verge of an, a humbug and sap some happiness out of our soul. But it did leave me wondering, um, I, I saw the contrast. What did Jesus come to give us Christmas? It was joy. And it wasn't an ordinary joy. It was a joy that, that would be with us in the mess. And yet, how do we experience that? Is it possible to experience that? And as followers of Christ, we know, yes, yes. And so today, what we want to do is, is we're going to um, look at five voices or five people. We'll, we'll drop into five um, bits of Scripture, people who, who equip us and encourage us to live with joy even in the mess. And today, if you're here and you're on the verge of a humbug, you're, you're struggling with cynicism or even in a, a season of deep sadness that's threatening to drain the joy from your soul, you're in the right place. And so we're going to dig in to uh, first in Luke's gospel and where we'll meet Mary. Is it possible to live with joy even in the mess? And the answer is yes, Mary models it for us. We'll drop into Luke chapter 1 and we'll begin reading in verse 46. Luke writes, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 46 there, we'll start with the, and Mary said, just a reminder, yes, Mary received some pretty amazing news that she would be the, the mother of, of the Messiah, but to remember her context, her immediate context, it is a bit of a mess from the logistics standpoint, unplanned pregnancy, teenage girl, not sure how all this is going to play out, and we know she goes, they go through, they have to move, quickly move to Egypt, and a bit of a mess, how do you live with joy even in the mess and we hear, have here right at the start of the Christmas narrative a song listen to what she says my soul glorifies the Lord magnifies the Lord makes much of his name and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior and what's Mary leading us into in this moment and I love as you think about what the Westminster Catechism says what's the chief end of of man What's our primary calling? Sums it all up. To glorify God, to make much of his name, and to enjoy him forever. And what's she doing? 
She's doing just that. My soul is glorifying the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, even in the midst of a foggy future and a, a life situation that could be in many ways a mess. What's she glorifying and rejoicing in? And we see this, two reasons she gives us as we read on. The first is, verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble, humble state of his servant. As Mary rejoices in, in God, she's remembering and her heart is just overflowing with joy in the reality that God has been mindful of her. And really neat idea there. The word mindful, it's that idea of God has put his attention on her, his loving attention, his loving focus on her. And she, she highlights the reality that she's in a humble state. She's really a nobody in the eyes of the world, living in nowheresville, and yet the living God <laughs> is looking her way to pour out his goodness on her. And it just stokes her soul. It, her soul erupts with joy over that. You think about your own story, and that's it, isn't it? That God would look your way and is looking your way, and we know the Christmas story where he knows our name, and he sent his son, his best, for you and for me. And I love the, just to, to rest in this reality. Last Sunday, if you were a mom or a dad and you had a kid up on stage, where was your mindful attention focused? Who are you looking at? Where was your camera aimed? Is, was it because they were doing something just amazing up here? No. But you were focused on them. So it is today, you guys. As we celebrate the gift of Christmas, Mary's story is our story and our reason to rejoice. Our God has been mindful of us. But she goes on and she says, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The second reason for her joy is the active goodness of God. She says, the mighty one, he's done great things for me. He's chosen me to be the mother of the Messiah. Great things in, in such that all generations from now on are going to call me blessed. And you might highlight that word blessed. As you think about your own story, that's your story, my story as well, isn't it, in Christ? Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ, we have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. As we read that, initially we think, okay, that's not all generations. Are they really going to call me blessed? If I had great abilities or accomplished great things, yeah, maybe that. But no, because you know Christ and have received the life that he promises through faith in him. Everyone who knows you and will ever know you could look at your life and say, they're blessed, right? For the mighty one, he's done great things for us. What has he done for us? And this is where we just pause and remember, I was dead in my sin, and he made me alive forever. I was a slave to sin. I couldn't choose right. I was in bondage to, to choosing wrong, choosing my will, and he set me free from that. So that now I am free and empowered to follow him. I am eternally loved. Which means, 
The active goodness of God is chasing me down every moment into eternity. The last, I am eternally safe, meaning there's never a moment here that I need to be afraid of no man, no circumstance, no power, because he's got me. The last, oh yeah, and my future, how beautiful is that? He promised in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust me, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we read on, new heaven and new earth, and no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, right? Blessed? Oh, baby. As Mary sings this song, you guys, this is our song. This is our story. How do we live with joy in the mess? We remember, the mighty one has done great things for us. He's been mindful of our humble state. But it goes on. Not only does Mary model it, an angel predicts it. If we fast forward to the night that Jesus was born and the angel shows up in the, the fields there with the shepherds, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, listen to this. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will cause. So the result of, of the coming of Christ is going to cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It's significant here that Luke adds the word, and the, that the angel says, not just joy, but great joy. It's literally mega joy, the uh, word from which we get our, our word mega, great joy. This is not an ordinary joy or a temporary joy, and it's important to remember what God's talking about with joy is not happiness that, that ups, goes ups and downs with our circumstances. And it's, it's good to have happiness, and it's, it's uh, healthy to also grieve. Go through, when we go through a season of loss, it's emotionally healthy to, to, uh, to experience that and to grieve that. But even in our grief, and even in um, whatever the circumstance, this joy is a great joy in that it's a constant it's the joy that, that uh, we'll talk about a little later, but the kind of joy that takes your, your breath away, your words away, you can't describe it. I was thinking, I was talking about with some moms, Jordan and Jessica, who are waiting on their child to be born. And the moment that you hear that we're going to have a child, and then you hold your child, great joy was celebrating with, with, uh, Dan, with uh, Brett Tennyson, Dan, his dad, Dan, was telling us the story where he finally uh, came to that moment where the girl that he loves, he's like, I, I've got to ask her. And he knelt down and asked her, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And what erupts in your heart as a guy when she says yes is great joy. It's the joy when we realize that this relationship that was broken with God has been forever made right. And that the, the skies of heaven, I love when Jesus was baptized, it, said, it says, heaven was torn open, and the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And that that same tear in the heavens has been torn open for us, and the goodness of God has been poured out on us as his children, and we get to live in that for eternity. It's that joy. And don't you love it? He says, not only great joy, but what follows, great joy, not for the elite, but for all people, all who will call on him in faith. 
every person that walks through the doors of Kroger can know the reality of living with great joy, even in the mess. Isn't that awesome? But it gets better, and this is where um, you may want to hang on to your chair here because you'll be tempted to just get up and dance with this truth. This one is so good. Not only does Mary model this, and the angel predicts it, like heaven said it, it's going to happen. Jesus promises it. If you fast forward to John chapter 15, this is the night that Jesus is betrayed. And uh, it says this, John 15, 9, we'll drop right in, in in the conversation. He's talking to his 11 disciples at the time. And it says, as, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. Really important to understand the context here. Where is Jesus in this moment? He's in a mess. They've left the upper room last dinner with his disciples before he's about to go suffer in our place. I picture this is the, uh, where he has to talk about the vine, and, and he is the vine. We are the branches, the father of the gardener, and the importance of really staying close to him, intimacy, connected with him, because life, spiritual life, flows out of our relationship with him and our connectedness to him. And so I picture him, they, they may very well be in a vineyard. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know there were vineyards on, along that way. And I picture him huddling with these guys, torchlight, you know, kind of flickering around. There's urgency in his voice. And he's been explaining this, abide in me, remain in me, remain in me. And what he says right here in verse 9 is really a flesh out. What's this look like? And he says it, guys, remain in my love. Now, there's a question mark that comes to mind. Does that mean we can fall out of God's love? No. We know from Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we come to him in faith in Christ, his love is a constant, unconditional. But here's the danger. We can move ourselves out of his love, meaning we can live unaware of his love or without appreciating the reality of his love. And in those moments that we do, we drift into the shadow lands of guilt, the shadow lands of, of uh, fear, all that comes with that. And so he says, guys, remain in my love, but listen to what he says next. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Now, this is a paradigm changer. Every command of God is intended to do what? If you keep my commands, you will what? Remain in my love. You will stay connected, live aware of my love. The commands of God, every command of God is, is meant to lead us into intimacy with him. It's not to steal our joy, but it's rather to lead us into a place of joy, which he's about to say, check this out. And here it comes. This is the dancing truth. Verse 11, I have told you this. Saying, guys, I have told you this. Remain in me. Keep my commands. Stay in my love as you keep my commands. I have told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Why did Jesus come? This is huge. When he says, my joy, you can't upgrade that, can you? That's divine joy. That, that's like 
the joy of heaven. That's, he said, I've told you these things so that my joy can be in you. What is God's will for your life today? His desire for you and me as his followers, even in the mess, that we would have his joy and then you move on and so that your joy would be complete and that word translation is weak in, in what it, it fails to communicate the, the beauty, the power of this. It's, it's passive, so this is joy that he gives us, but then it's, it's in the aorist tense, which means continually, and it's the idea of so that your joy would be continually filled up. How good is that? That God would make this possible, that Jesus would make this possible. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, my command, and this is where we say, okay, if I, the way I remain in your love is keep your commands, and as I keep your commands, the joy will be there. How, what are your commands? And he says, let me simplify it for you here. Simple, one command, love each other as I have loved you. The way of love is the way of joy. All right, this is where it gets beautiful, and this is the paradox that we step into as followers of Christ. Watch this. The very mess that shatters our joy or our happiness initially is actually prime real estate to live out the love of Christ as we respond with his love. Somebody hurts you, somebody whatever. You're tempted to be bitter, tempted to, tempted to do all these things, but you say, no, I'm going to stay in his love. I'm going to live out the love of Christ. When we follow him in the mess, it opens up the conduits for divine joy to river up in our soul in a way that never stops, continually filled. How beautiful is that? That's the redemption story, the resurrection story that's playing out not when you die. It's playing out right now. Somebody hurts you, somebody hits you, somebody messes with your life. You face a mess. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's something at work, some, whatever. Temptation is... Take matters into your own hands. Do evil for evil. But the Lord says, guys, guys, gather up. Follow the way of love. And I'm telling you this because I want my joy to be in you, your joy to be complete. And we experience that as we follow him. Isn't that awesome? That's the gift of Christmas. And so when it comes to, to uh, living with joy in the mess, Mary models it. The angel predicts it. Jesus promises that, and now Peter describes it, and this is post-resurrection as Jesus' followers are, are living this out, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Verse 8 says, he's, Peter's writing to them as he says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And we're picking this up in a context where Peter's been explaining why the messes of life come to us as followers of Christ. Why doesn't God just take the messes out when we begin to follow him? The mess is actually what tests our faith. And the previous context is explaining this. And they're all temporary, but every time a mess comes, it's an opportunity to trust God in that mess. And then here he gives the result. So you believe in him, the result, and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. It's that John 11, 15, 11 joy. For you are receiving the, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I love the, uh, 
the words that Peter uses here, inexpressible. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you've felt that, experienced that, where you're going through a tough season, a mess, but as you trust Him in it, you sense your faith growing through it. Our faith grows, but so does our joy. And it's that inexpressible, can't put words to this. But then the next word is really neat. It's, it's a glorious joy. Now, I know when I, when I say glorious, that's one of those abstract cloud words, like what's that really mean? Kind of a fluff adjective, but actually, it could be, you could say a glorified joy. Now, when will we be glorified? When will our bodies be glorified, which means to be made like Christ once we die? Um, Jesus was resurrected with a glorified body. When we're resurrected, we're going to get a glorified body. But here comes some good news for today. When will you get glorified joy? It's now. Guys, we get to live with this joy now. Somebody asks you, where'd you get that? Well, that's the joy you have. Say, you know what? Actually, it's a glorified joy. It's the same joy that people in heaven are having because God's given it to me. My eyes on him. He's providing it as I walk by faith in him. And then... The fifth person that speaks into this question, how do I live with joy, even in the mess, is Paul. And Paul's our, our coach. He challenges us here in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, as he says, simple commands, to, twice, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We know the context here, Paul is writing from a mess, he's in prison, into a mess, a church that's... Uh, struggling with some disunity. The, the women are mad at each other, and especially two, two leader women. And so he's speaking into a, a bit of a mess. And what he says here is profound in that it, it reveals joy is not just an emotion, the joy that God gives us. It is an emotion. We, we experience our, our, uh, the emotional side of it, but, but it, it is also a mindset or an, a decision of the will where we choose it. And he's saying, choose joy twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say, how do I do that in the midst of a mess? And we see it here in the text. It's by seeking our joy in one place. Not our circumstances, but in the Lord. And as I was reading this, it was profound. I was asking, why did God use the name the Lord for himself in this context? When he could have used many names. We know the names of God are many. Why does he say rejoice in the Lord. What does the Lord draw our attention back to? The sweet reality that he is sovereign over us and our circumstances. How can we rejoice in every situation? How can we rejoice always? Because he is always sovereign over us, but also over our circumstances. Isn't that awesome? Thinking about, I can rejoice always because he is Lord. He is Lord when fear is threatening. He is Lord when I can't see the way ahead. My circumstances are uh, foggy. He is Lord when I've been hurt, and I don't know how I'm going to heal with this. He is Lord when I'm facing disease that's, that's sapping the joy out of my soul. He is Lord in all of these things. And though this situation is not a joy-giving situation, he is Lord. And therefore, I am trusting him in this moment to see me through. Now, I'm sure 
this past week, you felt the cold winds of cynicism blowing through your soul at some point. I, or, I know I, I feel that where uh, it's hard. The messes come, and uh, it's hard. And, and there is, and by the way, just a quick side note, this doesn't mean we, we live with a kind of a constant happy look or you always have to be okay. The joy we're talking about is that deep well-being that is anchored in the lordship of Christ, knowing he's got it, we're trusting him. We know Jesus, he cried, and we know many times in scripture there's lament, and that's part of the human life, human emotion. But today, the gift I believe God wants you to have, and if you haven't received it, to, to receive it and to, to pursue it is this joy. And it's a joy that's constant. And our, our Father is, is whispering, look up, look to me, look to me, look to me. Yes, life is a mess, but ruthlessly reject the negativity and the cynicism and this, the dark cloud of despair that the enemy would have hovering over your soul and look to me and receive this joy knowing that I have been mindful of your humble estate. I have. And that I have done great things for you. And that I intend, hear Jesus say it, I intend for you to have my joy so that you may be filled with joy that's just overflowing. That's the will of God for you today. So how do we live in it? Now, this is important. We live by the word of God. The only way we get up and go and have energy to go if this is the only time you get into the Word of God this week, you're going to be worn out on Tuesday, and you're going to be struggling with cynicism, sadness, and, and all that comes with it. The only way we nourish our soul is the Word of God. So here's our game plan, you guys. This week, how do we put this into play? What if we all, and let's all take the truth that we've covered today and just rehearse it once a day. And we'll go with these three truths. When you have your chair time with the Lord in the morning, you get started, or even if it's on your drive to work, Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 11. Write it down, pray it, pray it again, hear it, where he says, I've told you these things so that my joy would be in you and your joy might be complete. We start out hearing his voice. Second, lunchtime. When lunch comes around, let's do a joy check with Paul in Philippians chapter 4, 4, and just hear him say again, rejoice in the Lord always, even on this day at work, in this situation, yeah, always. And then last, when we fall asleep, let's join Mary's Christmas lullaby. And just these first few verses, but let's sing it with her, all right? What a great way to end the day to say, Lord, my soul, I glorify you. My soul glorifies you. My spirit rejoices in you, God, my Savior. For you have been mindful of my humble state. You've done, all generations are going to call me blessed because of what you've done. For you have done great things for me. Holy is your name. And we fall asleep remembering all that he's given us. You guys in? Does that make sense? Can you live with joy in the mess? Oh, yeah. It's the Christmas gift. Mary models it. The angel predicted it. Jesus promised it. Peter describes it. And Paul commands us to do it. The question, are we going to live it? And I plan to this week by his power for his glory. Hope you do too. So last Saturday evening, I shared with some friends what had rocked me that afternoon was that, man, I, this was heavy, what happened at Kroger. One of them said, yeah, I work in the ER, and I see that side of life. I, I'm hearing you. Another said, yeah, did you see 
the stat that just came out. Life expectancy here in one of the greatest times in the history of humanity has for the started to drop. The report just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's because of two things, suicide and drug overdose. Man, it just fired me up again to know what Jesus said, it's still happening. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's making a mess of the gift that God came to give us, and yet Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And it lit me up. If it is true that 50% of our friends and neighbors who walk through the doors of Kroger have their souls drained with joy, what am I, what are you going to do to change that stat? I know what I'm going to do. What God called us to in Philippians 4, I'm going to choose joy for my own life. But then, here's the beauty of it. As we choose joy, what happens? Why does joy matter? Why is joy not a nice luxury, but a crucial necessity in our lives? Nehemiah tells us what we, we know from experience. Nehemiah chapter 8, the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Where do we get the strength to go out into the mess another week, another day? It's joy. It's why Jesus said, guys, I've told you this so that my joy would be in you. This isn't just so we can gather on Sunday and enjoy. It's so that we can fill up with joy to go back out into, into the mess with strength to share his joy with the world that needs it. Isn't that awesome? So who's in? The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the Christmas gift. May we receive it today and, uh, and then live it out. Does anyone else want to sing joy to the world right now? <laughs> well, that's what we're going to do, but let's pray as our, our team comes. Father, we do thank you for this gift of joy. We thank you that even though our lives are filled with messes, that these messes can actually become the opportunities to grow in our faith, but also opportunities to live out your love, which is sacrificial, opening the conduit of joy that we might serve you well. Father, I thank you for each person here today, and I know that we're all facing unique life situations, and many, some are in a valley right now, a dark place, and joy has been drained from their heart, and I just pray in these moments that you would fill their heart with joy in a way that only you can do. Thank you for what you've given us on the cross, Jesus, and if someone doesn't know you today, I pray that, that they would receive your gift of salvation through faith in you. We love you, and as we sing this song, we pray that, that you would be pleased and glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name.